0: 42 last days with my guru. This is page 382 to those of you who are following along with their own books Guruji, I am glad to find you alone this morning I had just arrived at the sirampur hermitage carrying a fragrant burden of fruits and roses Sri Yukteswar glanced at me meekly What is your question? (laughs) Master looked about the room as though he was seeking escape. So he knew exactly <laughs> you're gonna. Oh, I'm so happy you're here alone. <laughs> Every time somebody finds you alone and tries to corner you, like, oh, oh, what's, what are they gonna ask me now? So
1: and the fact that you know there is such a deep attunement between Yogananda and Sri Yuteshwar that don't you think by now, after reading all that we have read throughout the book, that Sri Yuteshwar already knew that morning that Yogananda was going to come to him with a very particular question and a very meaningful for him. And I can only imagine how many little strings Sri Yudeshwar had to arrange that morning to be alone and to be ready by that moment when Yogananda would be in his presence just
0: To have this question. Guruji, I came to you as a high school youth. Now I am a grown man, even with a gray hair or two. Though you have showered me with silent affection from the first hour to this, do you realize that once only on the day of meeting have you ever said, I love you? I looked at him pleadingly. Master lowered his gaze. Yogananda, must I bring out into the cold realms of speech the warm sentiments best guarded by the world wordless heart? I'm going to say this next yes, time to yes. you.
1: Oh, oh, I <laughs> I I'm going to keep reading, then you can say something.
0: <laughs> like, Narayani, must I say all these things? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> Guruji, I know you love me. But my mortal ears ache to hear you say so. Be it as you wish. During my married life, I often yearned for a son to train in the yogic path. But when you came into my life, I was content. In you, I have found my son. Two clear teardrops stood in Sri Teshwar's eyes. Yogananda, I love you always. Is that where you want me to stop?
1: Yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs>
0: what did you want to say?
1: I was just thinking that we can find here two different aspects of Sri Yukteswar's personality. And one of them is how, I don't know if uncomfortable is the world, but how difficult it was for him to relate at a human level to every disciple all of us as disciples have that human aspect of us that really long for some sort of acknowledgement some sort of recognition or reassurance that that our guru is really pleased with us maybe through a meditation through through a little miracle through a little something that happens to us it's just like it makes us feel in tune with our guru just just that little moment and and it means so much to us it's like we need those moments we need that confirmation and for someone like Sri sriyuteshwar he just assumes that each disciple at the level he was hoping to train doesn't need that acknowledgement anymore at that level. And, and you can see that trait of Sri were like, yes, he said it to Yukananda, but he, he just wasn't <laughs> comfortable enough to, it, it didn't come natural to him to use words that to him were unnecessary like how could you even doubt that my love for you is i mean i just love you dearly but but you can see how yogananda as well needed that and it's so powerful for me to see here that the cycle is about to close Yogananda comes to Sri Yukteswar, the first words, that very day, that moment, I will give you my love unconditionally. I love you forever and ever, until you become one with me, one with God. And then, just about his guru is about to leave the body, he those same words, I will always love you. And and you can see that was the beginning throughout and the end of that relationship. It was always sustained by love. And to me, somehow last night I thought, wow, so beautiful. They started with this exchange of words and something is about to end. At that level, as well. but now Yogananda knows it at that at the human level as well, which doesn't need to be discarded. It shouldn't be discarded. So I'm glad that Yogananda kind of used himself as that you know devotee who needs uh, those words from his guru. And the last thing is, when Sri Yukteswar says here, I have often yearned for a son. I, when I was thinking, I thought, oh my God, he was a self-realized master. He doesn't suppose to have desires or reduce towards something or little desires that need to be fulfilled. And it made me stop and think, wow, he yearned for a son. And in his married life, he didn't have a son. He had a daughter. So even he wasn't able to kind of fulfill that hidden desire, which wasn't really for a physical, for a son. It's in the you know, human way, but someone that he could transfer completely God's knowledge like almost a, a hidden desire somewhere there, like I, I just need to give this to somebody else. I need to, to share my consciousness. I want to train someone who will carry on the reason why I'm here. So I, I also found another trait of him, like, wow, he yearned for a son and, and God gave him the situation to, to experience that at the highest level. It had nothing to do with a father-son relationship, but a guru disciple. And I felt that quite powerful and deeper, I don't know, aspect of Sri Yukteswar that I passed it before, like without paying attention.
0: I'm remembering something. I want you to correct me if I'm wrong. But didn't Swami say that Master hinted that he and Sri Yukteswar were soulmates?
1: Yes. No?
0: Wasn't when yeah, it it Swami was say that in what context? Yeah. I don't remember. But that's an interesting, another interesting aspect to this little dialogue that Sri Yukteswarji and Master were soulmates. Now, of course, when we think of soulmates, we're looking at romantic relationships. We're thinking opposite sexes are involved. You know, we naturally think of soulmates as something that will fulfill us on that level as well but seeing that relationship between guru and disciple as being one of soulmates again shifts the but you can see that you know i mean not to go too deeply into the concept of soulmates because you know it can be a big detour but it's obviously a relationship beyond guru disciple but one that's been going on for in many different forms over and over again Oftentimes, in fact, as partners in the more traditional sense that we would think of soulmates. So you can see that 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 relationship of love has, you know, been kind of continuous throughout their lives. And now it's come to the culmination where that love is being expressed, as Narayani said, in its absolute highest, purest form. But nonetheless, somehow, somewhere, it's like the entire (laughs) life has gone by and Yoganandaji, who you know, knows or recognizes they should both of them recognize each other as, you know, the completion of themselves, says, you know, it's been a while you haven't said these words to me. It's been lifetimes. And in this life, you've said it to me once. So who knows what, you know, these past incarnations and relationships, we each share with one another. It's an interesting thought to contemplate how each of us have come over and over again in so many different forms and so many different expressions of love as mother and child, as husband and wife, as siblings, as closest of friends.
1: As enemies. As
0: enemies, (laughs) a different kind of love there. (laughs) But you know, also true. I mean, we've got to, there's always, duality is always going to be at play. And imagine after doing that over and over and over again, coming to that culmination of both individuals achieving that perfection. And in that last moment, once again, to come to that state, do you love me, you know, mm-hmm. that, that same words that you spoke to me when we first met. Is it still true?
1: And let's just again, one minute let's pause here because this deserves like il- even a clapping when <laughs> yoganandas is here too clear <laughs> teardrops. like oh my god sri were like but they only like, stood in yes. his eyes they
0: didn't they didn't trickle down he couldn't allow that much to happen <laughs> but you know let's
1: just Pause for a moment. Just just give each other a moment to close our eyes and imagine your Guru in front of you, just telling you, I will always love you. You know, and his voice is choked, And your, his eyes, you know, it's about just those clear teardrops. I mean, imagine that image. And how many times we could go back to that moment again and again, when we would doubt about ourselves, when karma hits us, where, when, I don't know, Maya tries to destroy us sometimes, to come back to those words, to that image. What a gift Sri Yukteswar gave to Yogananda that day
0: your answer is my passport to heaven i felt a weight lift from my heart dissolved forever at his words often had i wondered at his silence realizing that he was unemotional and self-contained yet sometimes i feared i had been unsuccessful in fully satisfying him His was a strange nature, never utterly to be known, a nature deep and still unfathomable to the outer world, whose values he had long transcended. A few days later, when I spoke before a huge audience at Albert Hall in Calcutta, Sri Yukteswar consented to sit beside me on the platform with the Maharaja of Santosh, and the mayor of Calcutta. What we're seeing here is a very different shift from a relationship that Yogananda has thus far shared with his Guru. The Guru's always been the Guru and Yoganandaji's always been the disciple, this little boy who, you know, is just here to be trained. Now, Yoganandaji's a Guru. You know, he's in his own right a teacher. He's, he's the one people are, you know, seeking out. They're inviting him to all these big talks. I mean, it's a, it's a huge shift in this context, from an outward perspective, Sri Yukteswarji is just, uh, you know, he's a swami. Yogananda Ji is the swami, Yogananda, who's just returned from America, this triumphant son who's, you know, shared Sanatan Dharma with these heathens, (laughs) with these white folk out there who know nothing. You know, wow, look at that, here the British are suppressing us and Yogananda has gone over there and he's conquered the hearts of all these, I mean, it's a, I mean, the psyche of India at that moment was very interesting. And everybody wanted Nandaji to come and present, you know, what what did you learn from these guys and what do they do? And is it true that they eat meat? (laughs) You know, I mean, it was just a, it's a world that's so far foreign to even the common man's contemplation, America, that suddenly the tables have shifted. And Ji is the one that people are looking to and falling at the feet of and, you know, garlanding and to a certain degree, Shri Ji isn't, you know, even in that I flow at all. And what a sudden, you know, even for you, I'm sure it would have been really awkward for Master to kind of in front of his Guru to be going through that. So here is this moment where now he's sharing the platform with his Guru, which is a vast, you know, shift in how their relationship has been thus far. Though Master made no remark to me, I glanced at him from time to time during my address and thought I detected, <laughs> thought I detected a pleased twinkle in his eyes. But, uh, as as the little disciple, he's, he's not shifted, the world's shifted, the circumstances have shifted, but Yogananda is still like, am I pleasing my guru? You know, I remember sometimes when Swamiji would give a lecture and some of us would have to, you know, I mean we were not lecturing fortunately with him, but we would always sing before his lecture. And if he was there, everybody would be like constantly looking at him just to see, is he enjoying what we're singing? Is the vibration coming out just right? And sometimes you'd see him close his eyes and sometimes you'd see him, you know, he just had this big smile and he'd be looking at everyone. He'd go like this. And you look at everyone in the choir back and forth and you would see him kind of connect with every person and he was feeding you energy and you were hoping that you were feeding him energy and for us the audience didn't matter at all everyone was like is Swami enjoying this music that we're sending out because that was all it mattered as a disciple as the student all you're interested in is this pleasing to my Guru. So You know, we detected a great twinkle in Swamiji's eyes, but here Master thought he detected. It's a, we don't quite know yet. It'll never be proved.
1: And it's so, wow, fascinating to just see that even though Yukananda had a perfect attunement with Sri Yukteswar, still till the very end, he never assumed that he knew what his Guru might have meant or he never assumed that that particular expression meant that like he was still given a little bit of um time for error room it's, it's, for yeah error. room for error and just in case never have the certainty of i know what that meant i mean it's just like again there, there are gems here that says a lot about the attitude that each one of us always should double check. Just making sure that we don't always know what the guru says even though it seems obvious to obvious to us. Always just leave that room for maybe and and I think that's a safe way for us.
0: Then came a talk before the alumni of Serampore College, as I gazed upon my old classmates and as they gazed on their own mad monk. Tears of joy showed unashamedly. My silver-tongued Professor of philosophy, Miss Dr. ghoshal came forward to greet me and all our past misunderstandings dissolved by the alchemist time. It's also just interesting to see the arc of Yoganandaji's life, yeah, yeah. and then to kind of think about our own arcs. You know, who we were when we were in school. What would it be like if we were to meet the same people now? Who knows, ten years from now, what that, what our lives would be. And each of us, when we especially step onto the path in earnest, you know, not just that. This is practices that I do. These are part of my, you know, just really, this is my life. Doesn't mean that we've left everything, even while we're having, you know, our families and work, and, but this is my life. This is my only reality. When we set that as <clears throat> the only goal, we see these extremely, extremely interesting arcs, you know, not arcs of Outward circumstance, but because our consciousness changes so drastically, we become so completely different individuals. I have my mother sitting over here who's nodding off a little bit, but um, you know, once she stepped onto the spiritual path, I remember her arc really just changed with our family. <laughs> you know, like she, completely, you know, so much happened, so many disharmonies, so much separation. We were such a tight-knit family and we were so close and my larger family, not just the four of us. And little by little, you know, the whole thing splintered and so much changed just by one person saying, I'm going to. And I, I know it sounds like, oh, that's not a good thing. But what my mother became in the process, what she needed from this group and how She depended on their approval and on the way that they lived and how she had to mimic and ape their lifestyle in order to kind of feel that she fit in. And imagine that doing that for 20, 30 years, you know, and just assuming that's what life is. And then suddenly realizing, wait a minute, no, I have a greater power inside me that requires me to mimic nobody and be subservient to nobody. And while that whole transformation looks a little, oh no, oh, cheese things are breaking, oh, we were so much love now. It was just, it was just, I'm trying to fit into your world and you're trying to fit into my world. And it looks pretty nice from the outside. But now I stand in my own power. I mean, I mean and that's a very interesting arc individually for me to see in my life. Of course, I see my own argument and he sees hers with her family and you will see as well that so much changes you have no idea when we start this journey, what that's going to look like. And that that is the greatest adventure of the spiritual path. What am I going to be? Where is my consciousness going to take me? At the end of all of this.
1: And then to see that our karma comes back to us there will be always another chance for us i mean i don't know if you remember but this professor was (laughs) like a nightmare for yogananda i mean that period of his life was really the greatest thing he had to overcome face and and really deal with it and it really made an impact in yogananda because there was a very very deep karmic, this harmonious relationship. And you can under left for America, but the karma wasn't resolved. There was a, a vortex of energy there, a misunderstanding, a relationship that wasn't fully harmonized, neutralized, and it was still there in the ether uh, trying to be resolved at some point doesn't need to happen in the same lifetime, but in Yogananda's case, and many of us as disciples, karma comes back to us and give us another chance to to see if we can neutralize that energy that this is still demanding our attention. and sometimes we are ready to work on it and neutralize it, and sometimes we don't. That's why we need to come back again and again because it's all about, it's all about healing relationships and just, you know, harmonizing with each other. And that's the beauty of our community living, that we are here daily, above all, to neutralize those relationships. And we don't need to force ourselves to resolve everything every day, everything every year but just to become aware that that's the reason we come into each other's lives, and and another chance to keep improving ourselves. The beauty of this paragraph is that time heals, and you will see a person that right now you don't get along, along, and in five years from now, you will see that person again, and suddenly, boom, the clicks happens so it's important for us to to see karma when comes back to us as another opportunity it's not a punishment it's like okay maybe here i have another chance to do better and, and i'm glad that yogananda just that was it that was his moment karma came back that professor came greeted him and boom, finished he was free from that. He didn't have to come back to meet this professor again. Anyway, just little things that helps to understand that wow, there will be people that we still don't even think we have to work with them and face them and eventually we will.
0: A winter solstice festival was celebrated at the end of December in the Serapur Hermitage. As always, Sri Yukteswar's disciples gathered from far and near. Devotional Sankirtan's solos in the nectar-sweet voice of Kristoda, a feast served by young disciples, and Master's profoundly moving discourse under the stars in the thronged courtyard of the ashram. Memories, memories. Joyous festivals of years long past. Tonight, however, there was an added, was a new feature. Yogananda, please address the assemblage in English. (laughs) Master's eyes were twinkling as he made this doubly unusual request. So, of course, we realize that, you know, we've said this before, but everything that we're reading about in English is really all happening in Bengali. (laughs) You know, everything that Yogananda Ji has received in teachings, in understanding, in the wisdom from his Guru has all been in Bengali. All the talks that Yogananda Ji is probably giving, even at Albert Hall and so all these places is probably all in Bengali except in other places where he says he gave the talks in some places in Hindi and in some places in English. Now, of course, his guru is saying, all right, give us a talk in English. It's almost like his guru wants to see. Let's see how he does in English. And he says, was he thinking of the shipboard predicament that had preceded my first lecture in English? I told told the story to my audience of brother disciples, ending with a fervent tribute to our guru. His omnipresent guidance was with me, not alone on the ocean steamer, I concluded, but daily throughout my 15 years in the vast and hospitable land of America. After the guests had departed, Sri Yukteswar called me to the same bedroom, where once only, after a festival of my early years, I had been permitted to sleep on his wooden bed. You remember that day? On <laughs> the mosquito day it was. <laughs> Tonight, my guru was sitting there quietly, a semicircle of disciples at his feet. He smiled as I quickly entered the room. Yogananda, are you leaving now for Calcutta? Please return here tomorrow. I have certain things to tell you. We're seeing over here, just these little hints of, as Narayani was saying, little circles closing, returning back to the source of, ah, oh, this is where I did this, oh, this is where I slept, oh, this is where I received this. I mean, imagine all that was going through. Yogananda was that little boy again and all that he was seeing. And the ashram life hadn't changed at all. Those same little disciples were going through the same little thing. But ji's life had just so vastly changed. But now he's coming back and everything's kind of just closing. Ah, those memories. Oh, that time that I was here. And Sri Yukteshwar, of course, is bringing him and giving him that resolution. The next afternoon, with a simple, with a few simple words of blessing, Sri Yukteshwar bestowed on me the further monastic title of Paramhans. It now formally supersedes your former title of Swami. He said, as I knelt before him, with a silent chuckle, I thought of the struggle which my American students would undergo over the pronunciation of Paramhansaji. (laughs) We see that they're still struggling with that pronunciation
1: (laughs) even today.
0: (laughs) So, of course, over here he says, you know, gives this little asterisk that says literally Paramhans means the highest swan, Hansa. And Hansa is represented in scriptural lore as the vehicle of Brahma Supreme Spirit, as the symbol of discrimination. The white Hansa swan is thought to be able to separate the true Soma nectar from a mixture of milk and water. Hamsa, pronounced hong so, are two sacred Sanskrit chant words possessing a vibratory connection with the incoming and outgoing breath. Ahamsaha is literally, I am he. So, Paramhansa essentially means that highest realization of that truth. I am he. Perfect discrimination to be able to separate spirit from this world. My task on earth is now finished. You must carry on, master spoke quietly. His arm are his eyes, calm and gentle. My heart was palpitating in fear. Please send someone to take charge of our ashram at Puri, Sri Yukteswar went on. I leave everything in your hands. You will be able to successfully sail the boat of your life and that of the organization to the divine shores. In tears, I was embracing his feet. He rose and blessed me endearingly. So now, finally, Sri Yukteswarji actually voices exactly what's about to happen. And the reason he called Paramhansa Yoganandaji back wasn't just, all right, let's have that he wanted also to pass on the mantle of his both inner consciousness by giving him the title of Paramhansa. And of course, that outward reality as well. You now will guide everything that I own is yours. This organization, the ashrams, and I'll bestow upon you. My time has come to go.
1: It's interesting to also contemplate that every Guru will ask at some point to every disciple to take some sort of responsibility. And we can't assume that the the Guru will do everything on his own or just with a few disciples. It's just, it's like how it works. Uh, I give you my life. But at some point, you will need to take some responsibility. I, I love also the fact that even though Sri yudeshwar doesn't need to be worried about anything, you know, he addresses certain practical aspects that Yogananda had to consider, you know, when I'm gone, make sure that someone will take care of this place in Serampore or this place in Puri, you know, like, make sure that certain things will be considered and take decisions about it and make sure that the practical aspect of our mission and our teachings continue. Don't just, you know, forget because we have invested time, energy, consciousness, into this work, this is a blessed mission and it needs to be carried on so he 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 introduces all these aspects of be responsible take responsibility and, and and just make sure that again you you just carry on in the best way you can i trust you i have trained you i trust you that you will be guided and do the right decisions but don't just you know, brush them off, because they need to be addressed.
0: I'm going to just move a little forward now to this, page 385. Basking day by day in the sunshine of my Guru's love, unspoken but keenly felt, I banished from my conscious mind the various hints he had given of his approaching passing. Sir, the Kumbh Mela is convening this month at Allahabad. I showed Master the Mela dates in a Bengali almanac. Do you really want to go? Not sensing Sri Yukteswar's reluctance to have me leave him, I went on. Once you beheld the blessed sight of Babaji at an Allahabad Kumbh. Perhaps this time I shall be fortunate enough to see him. I do not think you will meet him there. My Guru then fell into silence, not wishing to obstruct my plans. When I set out for Allahabad the following day with a small group, Master blessed me quietly in his usual manner. Apparently, I was remaining oblivious to implications in Sri Yukteswar's attitude because the Lord wished to spare me the experience of being forced helplessly to witness my Guru's passing. It has always happened in my life that at the death of those dearly beloved by me, God has compassionately arranged that I be distant from the scene. I don't know how many of the stories you remember, but of course his mother passed away and he wasn't there. His brother passed away and he just he couldn't even be there. His His sister sister passed away and he wasn't there. Later on, when his father passes, he won't be there. Sri Yukteswarji will pass, he won't be there. His closest disciples, when they passed, he refused to be around. There's something about, and when somebody, I think, asked him, he said, if I am there, I would fight with Divine Mother to keep them and I would win. (laughs) Divine Mother would be obligated (laughs) to hear my request and they would stay on. So he says, I need to be away. because otherwise I won't let them go in fact with his uh, most advanced woman disciple sister Gyanamata, he actually held her in her body almost a decade or more beyond what he said she needed to be in her body because he said I thought this was the way for you to completely finish off your karma because he then said at the end of this life she achieved complete liberation not she was a jivan mukt mm-hmm. became a param mukt so you know he hastened that process by letting her rather than returning one more time to finish that karma off he said let's just let's just do it in this time mm-hmm. and it was not an easy life those yeah. last last decade for her very painful um, a lot, lot of, of physical, yeah, physical challenges a lot of trouble but he just thought you know better to do it now than later
1: and the most amazing thing is like she knew she could have easily be gone. And she knew that her guru was keeping her in the body. And she couldn't fight with that. She, She would constantly inwardly talk to Yogananda, I'm so ready to go, but I know that if I'm still here, is because you want me to be there. You are not letting me go. So imagine that, knowing that you have to go through those physical challenges, your pain, your body's constantly aching and paining and all that. And your guru wants that for you. And you have to go through this for years. And for her to come to a point where she fully accepted and opened herself to free herself through that process, that was very powerful. That's what true, perfect attunement means. Whether I like it or not, whether I think I'm ready or not, whether I think I'm capable or not, if this is what my guru once, I'll do it. I mean very very powerful.
0: Our party reached the Kumbh Mela on January 23rd 1936. The surging crowd of nearly two million persons was an impressive sight, even an overwhelming one. The peculiar genius of the Indian people is the reverence innate in even the lowliest peasant for the worth of the spirit and (coughs) excuse me and for the monks and sadhus who have forsaken worldly ties to seek a diviner anchorage i like how he put this Mm -hmm. sentence the peculiar genius of the indian people (laughs) that's the only thing we got right (laughs) that's our genius right there that we recognize the worth of spirit over all else and in that there is this natural reverence just natural even atheists in india (laughs) even those who are completely like would otherwise you know think of god as the the worst creation of man's figment of imagination in india for some reason even they (laughs) when they're in front of somebody who is wearing at least the garb of a renunciate something happens And they feel almost a weight of of tradition and obligation to bow and to show reverence. And it's just part of a vibration that is India. It's like it's contained in our reality. It's nowhere else. It's not happening anywhere else, but it's definitely happening here. And that's an interesting aspect. And Master kind of capturing that. The peculiar genius of the Indian people is this, that somehow seeded in our consciousness is this truth God is the only reality and anybody who seeks that demands our reverence and he says here because this is an interesting kind of he gives it a little bit more um, true power because this is what he says imposters and hypocrites there are indeed because that's so true now, you don't even know who to bow to because you know, just because somebody's ochre robed doesn't necessarily mean that they know God. But he says, Imposters and hypocrites there are indeed, but India respects all for the sake of the few who illumine the whole land with supernal blessings. And again, it's just, it's such a beautiful thought. Even if one of these two million sadhus or whatever it is is a true saint i'm gonna just have to revere them all
1: Mm.
0: and that's such a beautiful way to look at it and i was thinking more for our context is the need for us to be able to respect and revere everybody in our lives you know because even if one of everyone we know has higher consciousness, is on their way to some form of saintliness. For that very reason, let me respect them all because I don't know who he is. You know how would they would say that God comes to us disguised as a beggar or a, you know, you can't leave them or if a guest comes, you better take care of them because who knows if it's... And that's so true because who knows, you know, in this room right now god could be very present in one of you <laughs> i don't know which one yet and so i'm going to have to just respect all of you and i'm going to have to revere all of you just so i don't get it wrong <laughs> and that's a beautiful attitude for us to hold in life for the few who are indeed illumined let me revere the all let me just respect everyone so that there is no chance whatsoever that I'd ever forget or show disrespect to one who is in fact one with God. Westerners who are viewing the vast spectacle had a unique opportunity to feel the pulse of the land, the spiritual ardour to which India owes her quenchless vitality before the blows of time. The first day was spent, this is a little, it'll give us a little glimpse into the Kumbh Mela. I won't go into it in great detail, but I, I just enjoyed the the imagery of it. Just get a sense of what they were all experiencing. The first day was spent by our group in sheer staring. <laughs> I love that line. i <laughs> staring because everything was so new, especially for, you know, his uh, Western disciples. It was just like, all we did the first day was stare, <laughs> staring here, staring there. Here were countless bathers dipping in the holy river for remission of sins. There we saw solemn rituals of worship. Yonder were devotional offerings being strewn at the dusty feet of saints. A turn of our heads and a line of elephants. capricined horses and slow-paced Rajputana camels filed by. Or by a quaint religious parade of naked sadhus waving sceptres of gold and silver, or flags and streamers of silk and velvet. Anchorites wearing only cloths sat quietly in little groups, their bodies besmeared with the ashes that protect them from heat and cold. The spiritual eye was vividly represented on their foreheads by a single spot of sandalwood, sandalwood paste shaven-headed swamis appeared by the thousands, ochre-robed and carrying their bamboo staff and begging bowl. Their faces beamed with the renunciate's peace as they walked about or held philosophical discussions with disciples. Here and there under the trees, around huge piles of burning logs were picturesque sadhus, their hair braided and massed in coils on top of their heads. Some wore beards several feet in length, curled and tied in a knot. They meditated quietly or extended their hands in blessings to the passing throngs, be it beggars, maharajas on elephants, women in multicolored saris as their bangles and anklets. Twinkling, tinkling, fakirs with thin arms held grotesquely aloft, brahmacharis carrying meditation elbow props for our own technique, humble sages whose solemnity hid an inner bliss, high above the din we heard the ceaseless summons of the temple bells. So this is day one. What a what a sight chaos everywhere yet somehow everybody had their little groups and clicks and koi hai, koi hai. <laughs> I mean, you know the naga sadhus are here and the ochre colored robes are there like, <laughs> but you know Muslim. i have
1: to say that for many of us who come to india for the first time this is what we experience yeah, like, even <laughs> at the airport <laughs> <laughs> or just when you are out about to take a rickshaw it's just that's why So many of us love India so much. It has such a variety. It's so playful. It's so unusual. I mean, I remember seeing an elephant (laughs) crossing when I came out from the airport. I mean, I was in the rickshaw, but all these cars had to stop because this huge (laughs) elephant was just, just crossing the road never in my life <laughs> i had seen that <laughs> and that happened even day in one. A, you know in a <laughs> she reg- was staring your day one
0: was also just about staring
1: <laughs> a regular day in india so it's 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 fascinating what what india brings to the world is very a very unique um flavor yet you can perceive underneath, and probably we'll read more in the next few classes. I mean, there is this deep spirituality pervading everything, all the superficiality that you see, if you really are able to, to, to see underneath, you just feel, you just feel that, that is spiritual power that emanates from India and many of us who are seeking for truth and freedom find that India is the place to do so because it pushes you towards that direction. Thanks to those few who are uplifting and blessing this world. And most of them I feel happen to live in India. So it's a very, special country yeah.
0: to live in. I'm always surprised why why they would, you know, <laughs> congregate on just one country, and why India kind of has that great honor of being able to hold unbroken this tradition of Sanatan Dharma. So, you know, I mean, uh, we're definitely blessed, but it's an interesting thing to really focus on one country <laughs> when there's quite a large world out there. <laughs> But of course, just being here in India doesn't uh, close their hearts Mm -hmm. to the silent cries of yearning to everyone in the world. That is one of the great reasons that Babaji sent Master and said, okay, you know, (laughs) enough of holding it here. Time to open the gates. And so it's so lovely now to see the traditions of India and the, the power of the teachings just everywhere. Now you go to any country in the world and everywhere there are meditation groups there are people practicing yoga everywhere people are i mean words like guru mantra karma karma i mean these are now english words they think these are english words they don't they've even forgotten that they actually have uh, sanskrit words because it's just part of everybody's daily and we're talking about you know corporate people you're saying hey today our mantra will be you know we're let's go get this success i mean they don't even know that they are in this process invoking thousands of years of traditions can you imagine that just by saying some of these words even completely ignorantly they're somehow honoring these illumined masters who have held that power for all this while it's amazing it really is we live in a fascinating time now where we will see as master said east and west blend completely into one And hopefully some of us get to participate in, you know, getting that blend to happen more beautifully, more harmoniously, more joyfully, more uplifted way, as we don't close our hearts and as we don't say, this is me, mine, ours, my country, and that we are, you know, joyfully open enough